Hello, everyone. I'm Al Daldegan, creator and producer of the Leaders, Innovators, and Big Ideas podcast, supported by Rainforest Alberta. This podcast showcases the people who are working to improve Alberta's innovation ecosystem. Val McCarty is empowering Alberta startups through friendships, resources, and opportunities. Currently a moderator and host in the World Referral Network, Val studied at both University of Alberta and Grant McEwen University, Management, Education, and Human Services. When not at work, you can find Val outside with her grandkids or looking forward to the next live jam. Leading us in another episode, Val chats with Nathan Johnson. Take it away, Val. Welcome, listeners, to another edition of Leaders, Innovators, and Big Ideas podcast. The LIBI podcast is supported by Rainforest Alberta and showcases those who are contributing and or supporting the innovation ecosystem in Alberta. This podcast is published in Google Podcasts and iTunes Store for Apple products. Let me introduce myself, Val McCarty. Podcasting, grant funding, business planning, and networking, these are a few of my favorite things. And today, we have Nathan Johnson as our guest, and he's got a few favorite things as well. Nathan loves systems, especially data systems. So growing up, he wanted to know how everything works. And when given the opportunity or challenge, he would break it down, learn it, and put it back together. He found as he got further into the business world, this passion for learning and systems really helped him excel. So welcome, Nathan. Thank you for having me. I appreciate being here. I have to ask, the, the, those are your favorite things? Is that the sound of, the mu- sound of music reference? <laughs> yeah, for sure, for sure. A little play on that, hey? Yeah, that's awesome. So Nathan, tell our listeners a little bit about your beginnings. Call it the what, why, how of my guests. Yeah. So how this started out going back, I guess, far enough was that as a kid, uh, everything that I got my hands on, I wanted to know what was inside of it and how it worked. So it wasn't really until about age 10 to 12-ish that I started really getting to be able to really dissect computer systems as a whole. First computer is an Apple II GS. And the first thing I learned to do with it is write some basic code to make it parrot back whatever you were typing and kind of just kept taking it from there. And I wanted to know more and more on both what it could do and what it couldn't do and why it couldn't do it. And so that was a common drive for me was that I like to look at the counter of things where I would say, you know, this is cool. Why can't it do other things? And so as I grew up, I really kept driving that more and more and more that I was always kind of looking at the opposite side of what was available. So if I learned more about engines, I'd wonder why engines have limitations. Why can't they go further, faster, be more efficient? And then as time went on, this drive to learn all these things and learn more behind the curtain stuff really pushed me to kind of stay invested within doing computers and computer technology. So my career actually as I grew up, kind of went in different paths. I did well in sales when I was younger, and that kind of kept me going. I kept kind of ending up in sales roles, but I never stopped kind of doing technology in the background where I would build servers, all sorts of audio videos technology. I was big into speakers, you know, video games and other really entertaining, entertaining formats that I get my hands on. And 
kept doing it more as a professional hobby. So when I say professional hobby is that I, I think I spend at least at minimum two hours a day, every day of the year, learning or focusing on growing that knowledge that I want to have in the technology field and in other fields too, but primarily technology. And so as I got older and older, I found that having a very systematic mind, I was actually particularly good at management and strategy and business operation. So when given the opportunity to get involved with some management roles and being able to grow some businesses and help some companies, I definitely took that on and did quite well in it. And that actually pushed me into my industrial career where around age... Yeah, right around age late 20s, I started doing executive management in the industrial field. And so I grew that for about 10 years. And as I did that, I kept finding I was gravitating back towards technology. And the industrial field was amazing for me because I got introduced to a whole new world of systems. And we got to see how factories, facilities, towns, huge infrastructure, massive projects worked. And that was really eye-opening for me too. And that kind of kept the drive going. And so after about 10 years of doing industrial management, I had an opportunity to take on a directorship for both doing systems and industrial. And so as I did that, I found that I enjoyed the technology systems part as a profession quite a bit. So when I was given the opportunity to sort of say, hey, do you want to start a company? I said, yeah, absolutely. And we took it on in the technology field. And that's where we got to today was we opened Stratus Advanced Technologies. And you know the thing that stuck with me the most over all my time was that learning about how data moves was always a big thing for me. I was always fascinated by figuring out how I could push things or get well, specifically things that aren't supposed to do things to do the things I wanted them to. And that brought me to where I am today as a CEO of Stratus Advanced Technologies. And that's, you know, the short of the journey where I got to. And still, I have that same passion to want to know why can't we do certain things. And that's what drives me every day is when people tell me and say, hey, you know, I heard you can do these, but this, but why can't we do this? And, you know, I say, I don't know. Let's let's dig into that. And <laughs> usually that answer kind of comes with a whole like, let's say a boatload of reasons why we can't. But now that I'm more business minded, I can give both answers. I can say technologically, it's possible, but from a business perspective, probably not intelligent. That's wonderful. So I know a lot of the the guests that have been, that I've been host with on, on this podcast, they too, seeing their career seems to mesh with what they've started with at the very beginning. They've learned tools and tricks and trades along the way, and then they come back to what their inner core is. You have that analytical mind and that inner core. So you are definitely where you need to be right now. I think that's wonderful. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And just for our listeners, the, the company name is Stratus Advanced Technologies. Awesome. So data, that's kind of where you're at now. Hey, you're a specialist in data. Mm -hmm. Simply put, just for our listeners' ears, what is the difference between, say, data and just information? Yeah, so data is more the, the actual digital breakdown of information. So information, when we say it, if I had to generalize in a societal context, is English words. So sentences, paragraphs, that idea of signage, visual display, that type of stuff is what you call information. The term data is the the more broken down format into the computer, the language the computer speaks. So when we talk about data, 
everything can technically be data and everything can technically be information. But what we try to focus on is when it's broken down into the way a computer can understand it. So, you know, at the lowest level, zeros and ones and other formats, that's the part we work with because generally, say, working with the English language to figure out a trend is much more difficult because there's a lot of context to a sentence or a paragraph. Breaking things down into numbers or matrices, you can apply mathematics and algorithms to it. And that's sort of the base concept of when we talk about data. And it's something that's more, I would say, more math compatible than information is. So that's the way we sort of break the the difference between the two when we're discussing it. Okay. So the data tech tech sector develops products and services that help store and manage the data generated. So there's a, a rapidly growing number of sources that the data can come from. So the data ecosystem is your playground. So let's talk about, I mean, I know in a, a previous conversation, we talked a little bit about democratization of data. And I thought that was a fan, fascinating term. So let's go over that with our listeners. Yeah. So the democratization of data, I personally feel has a couple different meanings. So one of the things is the idea is that making sure data is available, open, and it's something that the people control. So when we say the people, that would be a generalized version of a populace or body or country or something like that. And we say that everyone would be able to have control and use of their data. The big thing for me when I talk about the democratization of data is more along the ideas of creating standards in which we can all share data and it's useful because there is a particularly big difference. If I consider the color yellow equivalent to the number 63 and someone considers the color yellow the equivalent of the number 22, or just something along those arbitrary lines or abstracted lines, sorry. There's a bit of a problem that even if we democratize data, it's still siloed. It's still isolated. We can't really share because my version of yellow is different from your version of yellow, which is okay in principle, but it doesn't allow us to empower or understand. And so one of the things that's really important in the democratization of data is creating standards on how data is transmitted back and forth or shared between large groups of people so that we can gain more insight from it. And that's a really big problem that the world's sort of facing right now is that we have so much data. There's so much data out there. But the hardest part about using it is that data has to become usable. And it's sort of like, you know, in an example of saying, say paint, as we're talking about colors, there's a lot of different types of paint, right? Like, you know, nobody wants to paint their house with a can of spray paint, but also no one wants to try to paint a toy with a bucket of paint. Both of them, you know, it can get it done, but it'll be not a fun experience and you're going to have to figure out a lot of things. So the idea is it's sort of the right tool for the right job. So when it comes to democratization of data, I really do believe that's a super important thing. But we also need to create standards where we're saying, how do we handle data? How does this happen? And how do we handle the large volumes that we have now to produce useful results and get them out of the silos in which they're in? But even if we get them out of the silos today and give them back to everyone, it's still borderline useless, in my opinion. Unless there's that standard in which to share. I love that. Yeah. Standards to share. Yeah. Also, in an earlier conversation I had with you, you had mentioned the importance of uh, data communication and translation. It, is that related to democratization? Yeah. So there are 
the sort of data translation. So data translation, if we said, use an example like a, a recipe. I love to cook. I love sharing recipes, like talking to people and getting new ideas. And if someone comes to me and says, you know, hey, I really love the barbecue you made. Can you share the recipe? And I write down the recipe and I use, let's say, pinches and tablespoons. And I send that over to someone yes. and someone calls me, they have to call me back and like, hey, you're gonna have to translate what a pinch is because I don't know yes. how to cook. And like, I have really big hands, but my, you know, my, a pinch might make this taste horrible. So what happens is data translation then is more like, okay, well, just use like one or half of a teaspoon is what a, you know might be a, considered a pinch to me. Maybe I like a hearty pinch yeah. and it depends on what's going on. So with data translation, that's a really important thing that we have to have a better understanding of is how to universalize almost the data structures and units of data in a way that allows people to go back and forth. And there is some standards out there. I believe IEEE has one, and I believe there's some other ones that are coming, but it's something more available and approachable because it's sort of hard to go to your friend and be like, hey, write me out a recipe, but can you meet like these data standards for providing the recipe to me? But digital or data transformation software can do that if we're embracing that at a higher level. And that's something that I would like to see more of because then it would allow for us to amplify data transmission. So lots of times, like, you know, I'm we're here in Canada. And when I go looking for barbecue recipes, the you know, barbecue started in the south of the United States mostly. It's all over the world. But when I'm reading through those recipes, I constantly have to translate because I don't truly in my head understand what pounds and ounces are. That's perfectly fine. It's not that it's the wrong measurement or something's wrong with it. It's just not the measurement I'm used to. I'm used to milliliters, grams, and tablespoons, teaspoons, and stuff like that. So this is where data communication built with a data translation layer can help us bridge those gaps and move these things further. So if those two technologies exist in this, this scenario we're painting, that will open up the world for way more people to have access to barbecuing stuff, you know, in a better light or hopefully a different light or whatever they want. But it opens it up so more and more people can learn or gain, gain from the data. So that's where data communication and transformation come in with the importance of data democratization is that we can give data to everyone, give everyone the power, give everyone the control. But it's sort of like, you know, if you give everyone swords, you're going to have a weird outcome. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, that makes sense. The translation and the communication and the democratization of data. Love it. So listeners have perked their ears, I am sure. If anybody is listening and is into this world, they're listening. They're listening real well. So there's also a common need for businesses with data insight. And it spans all sectors, I believe, eh, and sizes of business. You cover this on your website really well. Do you want to talk about that for a little bit? Yeah, data insight, and then I'd say also throw in their data advantage. They're two separate things are going to be, or sorry, business insight and business advantage, or data insight and data advantage, either way, they're interchangeable, are going to sort of, in my opinion, be the next big sort of everyone has to embrace type mechanical part of their company. So when my dad was growing up, you know, this would go back into the 80s, the really big thing for them was communication. So if you were able to communicate, that gave your company a huge advantage. So that could have been shortwave radios, walkie talkies, even access to cellular telephone technology, satellite phones, just more complex phone lines. I don't know if, you know, Canadian might age myself here, but like Nortel stuff and all these things. 
those were huge advantages to companies because they were able to communicate at higher levels. They could have multiple people talking at the same time, different clients. As time went on, the next sort of major advantage was definitely, I would say, access to email and that faster communication method and websites, being able to interface and provide more information. Now we've kind of gone into the age where we have, you know, that stuff has been flushed out and businesses as a whole are trying to figure out more of how they provide their principal service. I think social media marketing, you know, influencing is playing a particularly large role, but I think what's going to make a bigger impact is business insight. And so the lead up to this is to sort of explain what business insight is versus these other things. The rest of it was an advantage that got people to you or helped you sustain people. Once you have a business running, you need to optimize and work on what's going on internal to that because those are the greatest levers you can you can turn. Adding anyone that's run a business knows a thousand more clients could be a bad thing or it could be a good thing. It depends on how you're set up. But say if you're running a restaurant and you have data insights. So say if you knew that in the morning, you actually end up selling more cinnamon buns than muffins. One of the things you can do in your company is you can figure out how to optimize the sale of cinnamon buns to a higher level. That could mean a whole lot of things. That could be offering more cream cheese on top for an extra fee. That could be finding cinnamon buns from a different baker that maybe are a little more cost effective. It could be making having cinnamon buns warmed up in a ready-to-go package so that you could deal with more casual customers. But the only way you're going to know this is by breaking down the amount of data you're consuming. So if you're running this theoretical cafe, you're going to be running quite a lot of invoices through in a day. So, and say you have a hundred people walk through at the end of the day for an owner of a cafe to sit down and review a hundred invoices and their timestamps and trend it and do all these different things. It's not a feasible thing for them to do. They've got cinnamon buns to make and coffee to serve and employees to deal with. So what business insights going to be is it's going to be taking all those data points they have and connecting them up at the end of the day something can provide them an insight telling them what's going on saying like hey just so you know every monday you sell you know six times as many of these things those types of keys can change a company astronomically with little tiny adjustments but they're so hard to understand and keep track of because it's not conceivable for humans to be able to do that type of repetitive task or applying a human to doing it is also just horribly cost ineffective where that's where computers shine you give them numbers that humans can't digest, computers can rip through them in in like no time. And the other part too, is that that insight then leads to an advantage. If your business has an advantage, you can now leverage that advantage to hire more people, have better customer service, do the things that other people cannot. And so those are the two big things that we sort of focus on when it comes to why data insight and data advantage are so critical. But we have to sort of change the way we look at it because a lot of people are sort of hoping that their accountants will provide data insight at the end of the year. The accountant's going to provide you with overview, but they they can't sit down and be like, oh, we're going to review 365 days of a cafe invoices or receipts. That's impossible. But that's where they have to rely on their software package or some type of extra services to provide those data insights back to them so that they can gain a business advantage and start tying things together that may not even be tied together where, you know, how many companies do you know of that effectively set their menu based on the weather? Lots of restaurants do. They'll serve, you know, soup during the winter time. But 
one thing they might not be catching is, you know, how much hot chocolate they could be selling. Or if they have a variety of hot chocolate, they might even sell even more of it. Or they might be able to upsell if they add caramel or maybe, you know, of course, if you're above 18, maybe Mm -hmm. a shot of something to warm you up even more. And and depending on the demographic of where that particular restaurant is, it's going to have different data insight. That's cool. And so that brings us to the, the topic of data utilization. So to utilize all this and mm-hmm. to the advantage, you've brought up some really good analogies. Um, uh, I really find that quite helpful. Are, are there any success stories? Uh, there are some on your website. Did you want to share with our listeners any success stories? Yeah. Built so, on what you... No, for sure. So our data utilization has been sort of very interesting one. And it's leads, it's the taking the data and, and moving into that point where it's providing the insight. And we worked with a client to help them effectively read the information throughout their business and then read information outside of their business. And one of the things that they were able to do is because the computer was able to uh, parse through their information at a speed they couldn't conceive of. So I think what they needed to be checking was about 9,000 close to 10,000 separate data entries, um, pretty much almost hourly, to look for changes that would impact the whole entire process of their company. And then there was also external factors that would also impact this. So we took the time to set up this process. So this automation would sit there pulling in all this data and effectively reading through it and making little algorithmic checks and runs to kind of come back and state like, hey, you know, over the last day, we found the follow seven, the seven following things. And here's our suggestion to correct them. But that's where the human comes in because the computer can read the math and figure stuff out, but it's not contextual. Computers and AI, especially, and this is a conversation I could go on for a while, is that spatial awareness and contextuality are the things that computers just are not good with. And it's unlikely they will be. Um, that's, again, you know, we could add another podcast for that one. But the idea is that when you get to that point, it puts it back in the human's hands where the human is the superpower because they can go, oh, man, I would have never caught this because I'm not going to sit there and read through, you know, 10,000 records. But they can go, oh, man, I can thank you. I'm going to go check this out and I will remedy this because I know the context of it. Or they might say, oh, you know what? These three things, they don't matter because today is Tuesday, right? Like like to teach the computer all the conditions that it would possibly have to know to eliminate a a person as an actual point of uh, data utilization is also a difficult thing. Mm -hmm. So that's sort of the one of the ones we use an example. I try to talk in vague terms just because we like to protect our clients' privacy, but that is one of the best use, best sort of examples of data utilization is that we're able to use internal factors, external factors, and then parse through data, doing comparisons and building up all sorts of new information and points, which they didn't have before, so that the people in their company are even more empowered to do their jobs even better because they couldn't have had this information or it would have been just so time consuming and cost prohibitive. It's not, it's not a good investment exactly. from a people perspective. Yes, yes. Yeah. Yeah, so really, really aiding that uh, the data and bringing it to the human for that thought process that only humans can bring. Um, mm-hmm. I want to sort of turn the conversation a little bit to your uh, website. So Stratus sure. Advanced Technologies has an awesome website. And on it, when I was doing a little research, I noticed you have some bits about your culture. And so there was a really mm. nice quote from uh, Wes Howery, your chief technology officer. Uh, Stratus is more than just a workplace. It's a community 
that embraces fresh ideas and encourages growth, that open collaboration, mentorship, and shared enthusiasm for innovation make every day an exciting journey of learning and achievement. Um, that mm. says a lot to me. Yes, it does. In in my, you know, I'm closer to retirement than I was, you know, 40 years ago. And so, no, I've seen a few, I've, I've worked in a few workplaces and that sounds like the workplace I would like to spend some time in. So can you let us know, uh, you've chosen this focus on culture. Is there a particular reason why? Does it, you know, uh, hit a particular chord or anything? Yeah, it actually comes from a personal cord and a functional cord. So personal cord is that I've, I've been on a journey to I'm 42 and I've got two daughters or three daughters. And so two bio daughters and a stepdaughter. I've been remarried and I've gone on, you know, my journey through life here, kind of making my own mistakes and getting into jobs and, and learning how to adapt and live life and have you know, these harder conversations. And as I went on the journey through working in the professional space, I definitely understood that, you know, certain jobs are simpler or more simple and certain things don't apply culturally to, you know, more simple tasks. But one of the parts that always bothered me was that why more companies, again, like this is the thing is that why don't companies, why don't systems do things that they can't do? Why don't more companies embrace empowering the people that work for them. And so from a personal standpoint, I wanted to have a company where when people came on board, they were empowered to do more and give more, understanding what their role is and what they need to be doing. There's at no point within Stratus that we don't know what we're supposed to be doing. We know what type of work we have to do. When this when this meeting is over with you, I know exactly what I have to be doing from a professional standpoint. And I don't think that's ever lost on me. But I want to push it more that people are encouraged to find new, better ways to innovate, make things better and grow our company. The flip side to this from a more functional side is that we also have a major concern that the subject matter in which we're embracing, that we want to embrace at a very high level, is also going to require a very high caliber of individual. And we need to have an environment that fosters and allows people to come onto our company, grow, run a longer tenure than normal, and be able to feel like they have that creative room to do that stuff. And without that, it's going to actually be a functional hit on our business. My biggest concern when it comes to operating this company is that we want to grow to be quite large. We are, you know, we're a small organization now. But that is the thing that I think is incredibly important is that when the people do come here, that we're not sitting there staring down the barrel of, you know, here's 10,000 hours of this type of static data work. We want to be the innovators. We want to be the leaders. And without that type of part of our culture, I don't think we're going to be able to attract, attract, retain, and keep those people stimulated and engaged without this type of culture. Yes. Stimulated and engaged. An engaged employee, an employee that feels empowered. Yes. We're just going to give more. Exactly. Mm -hmm. I love the mention on your website too, of, and this is only because I've been through a few strategic meetings where we actually did voc vocalize and write down some big, hairy, audacious goals. <laughs> and right on your website, <laughs> yeah. there was a big, hairy, audacious goal for Alberta. So if you don't mind, I'll, mm -hmm. just, I'll just quote from your website here to transform Alberta. We recognize the immense potential technology holds to revitalize Alberta's key sectors from energy and agriculture to manufacturing and beyond. 
by infusing innovation into the heart of these industries, we're forging a future where technological advancements empower growth, sustainability, and prosperity, propelling Alberta to the forefront of global competitiveness. That is a piece of poetry right there. <laughs> well written. Yeah. Well written. Uh, that must have been a journey to come up with. Is there any uh, fun story you can tell us in that respect? Yeah, it you know, to sort of hop on my soapbox for Alberta is that I actually came from British Columbia and came out to Alberta and Alberta's given me what I have today. And I really appreciate that from the diversity of Alberta to everything we're doing. And one of the things that, you know, went through my head as again, I worked in Alberta and wondered like, you know, again, why don't we do certain things? I looked at it and wanted to be a part of really building an innovative way of driving home or driving driving forward the province I call home and then empowering it as a whole to do better. All of it. It doesn't matter what spectrum or place we're coming from, whether you're pro-energy or pro or like or against it or you're, you know, for uh, environmental tech or if you're pro for uh, the general energy sector or fossil fuels or the fuel engagement or for the manufacturing or agriculture or our transit logistics, manufacturing, like Alberta has everything. It does. And it mm -hmm. didn't matter to me where you were from. I always found that every, every single person in every sector in Alberta was an incredibly hardworking individual. And I always wondered why, uh, why can't we push this even further? And so part of it was that I wanted our BHAG to be about something more unified about Alberta. So an idea of pushing the technology sector to give everyone an advantage. Mm -hmm. So the idea is that, you know, if you ask what Alberta is, majoritively, it would be agriculture and energy. That's that's a big, big, big chunk. But we're we're a very diverse group of people. We have a huge amount of environmental technologies. We have a huge amount of manufacturing. Food processing is huge here and logistics and all sorts of things. So the goal was to say, you know, what do we want to do as a company? And we're like, oh, we could just say we want to be the global leader. But we're like, well, what like. Alberta is a big place. But the other thing, too, is we want to deal with the globe. Well, we want Alberta to be that hub. We want Alberta to be that superpower, that place that people are coming to for these types of things and also helping every other industry around us in Alberta become that place. We would love to see Alberta become the agricultural technology center where everyone in the world is reaching to Alberta to say, how, you know, hey, how are you guys doing agriculture? This is what we want to be doing, too. So we want to be a part of that digital transformation of Alberta because that is a huge part of the way the world's going. And we sort of said, well, you know, do we say Lethbridge where we are or do we say Southern Alberta? But we decided to sort of land on Alberta. But our our goal is to help everyone. We don't plan to not deal globally in the future. But I think this is a fantastic starting point and it's the place I call home. So it's a bit of a soapbox rant, but <laughs> no, it's wonderful. Know, no, we 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 all have to have opinions. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And I like Alberta to be the forefront of global competitiveness. That wouldn't bother me at all. Mm -hmm. Also, um, that leads us to talk about the rainforest. We're on a rainforest podcast now. The rainforest is a fantabulous ecosystem of individuals and companies, small, medium, and large, who all come together to support each other. And that's why I think this talk works so well in the Rainforest podcast. Tell our listeners where they can find you if they're 
you know, want to ask you more information, something we haven't talked about is talk about your website or maybe a LinkedIn, your LinkedIn name, or just even your preferred method of contact. Yeah. So reaching out to me, LinkedIn is definitely my preferred method of contact. Uh, you can look up Nathan Johnson, CEO of Stratus Advanced Technologies right inside of LinkedIn, and you'll be able to find me. Our website is also, we have a general mailbox. So any requests sent to that will definitely reach my ears if you're looking for myself. I do attend Rainforest, Alberta. I try to make it every other week. And if there's something super interesting, I also try to do that and participate in having those conversations. And then I'm available at email at nathanj at stratusadv.com. And really, I also love meeting in person. So I'm a big, big, big believer in education and learning and talking. And I think personally, the biggest move forward that's going to happen in Canada for technology is for everyone to start partnering and having stronger conversations about what we can do together, instead of saying that we can solve all this as a bunch of independent silos. And so please reach out and talk to me. I'm very much invested in learning how to grow or facilitate helping people change what they're doing and empower their offering to be more, to be better. Because mm -hmm. I think if we start kind of sort of moving away from the silos, everyone's going to scale a lot faster. You betcha. And there, it goes back to what we were speaking about before with the data, it's the standards to share. <laughs> you know, if we're all mm -hmm. meeting, say lunch without lunch that you mentioned through Rainforest, we're establishing our, our uh, standards of, to share, right? And to help each other along the way. So thank you so much. So this sort of is the finish of our conversation. Is there anything else you'd like to tell our listeners before we, we say adieu? Um, yeah, I, I definitely appreciate you taking the time to talk to me and sort of ask these questions and give me a chance to explain what is running through my head. And I really want to encourage all the listeners that are listening to this podcast to, if you're in the tech sector or in the data sector or whichever sector you're in, even if you're in the agriculture, energy, or any of the other sectors we talked about, reach out and have conversations. Go for coffee with people that are in different sectors or in different groups and start asking them questions and finding out why we're not doing things. The world has moved immensely and the availability of awesome things that could help you grow your company here in Canada are more available than they've ever been at any time in history. But it's all going to start with those conversations. And if you're looking for a place to start, please reach out to me. I will buy you coffee and I'm more than happy to have the conversation. Wonderful. So there you go. That's a great offer. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. It's been a real pleasure. Thank you for sharing some time with me. No, it was awesome. Do we now sing... Song yeah, song. We're, we're now saying goodbye. <laughs> <laughs> goodbye yeah. from Nathan yeah. and Val. Yeah. Auf Wiedersehen. Yeah, Auf Wiedersehen. If you haven't already, visit rainforestab.ca and sign the Rainforest Social Contract. Become part of the inclusive, silo-busting, sector-agnostic, all-industry, open-sourced, ego-shrinking, ecosystem-building, entrepreneur-focused, wide-open, social barrier-smashing community known as Rainforest Alberta. This episode was brought to you by New Idea Machine. NIM helps new software developers, UI UX designers, and product managers gain mentored hands-on industry experience. And at the same time, we provide companies with risk-free tech talent. Definitely a win-win-win situation. Visit newideamachine.com for more information.
Music for the show was created by Tony Deldegan. Please be sure to share this episode with everyone you know. Also, don't forget to come by and say hi at the next Rainforest event. Let us know what you think of this podcast. If you're interested in being either a host, sponsor, or a guest of the show, send me an email at rainforestpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.